just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. I hope your week is going well for you. You know, whenever I do the program, I'll frequently tell you if you have questions, comments, complaints, recipes, whatever you got, you can always reach out to me directly via email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or you can go to anchor.fm, look for the Rational Boomer podcast, and you can leave me a voicemail message. I'm always anxious to hear from you. You have some great insights. You're helpful to me. You make me look at things maybe I wouldn't be normally looking at. So anytime you reach out to me, I'll do what I can to incorporate it into the program, unless you tell me you don't want me to, but I haven't seen that as yet, so I appreciate those folks who have reached out. Well, I got an email today from a listener by the name of Denise, and she says, if it is illegal to yell fire in a crowded theater when there is none, putting people potentially in harm's way, why are all of those encouraging insurrection or civil war or threatening violence in any way still free to spout their dangerous rhetoric? Live generously, Denise. Well, first of all, Denise, thank you for taking the time to reach out. And I've got to tell you up front, I am not a lawyer, so I can't give you a legal answer to that. But I can tell you what I think. First of all, if you're in a closed situation like a theater, you yell fire. Immediately, people get excited. They stand up. They run for the exits. People could get knocked over, could get injured. And clearly, that is some sort of violation. You have a First Amendment right, but there are consequences if you cause a problem. Now, if you're walking down the street, on the internet, on TV, whatever, and you say, I like insurrection, or let's have a civil war, or we're going to get violent if you're not careful, that doesn't necessarily create an immediate response. It may not create any kind of response, ultimately. We do have a First Amendment right. We can say what we like. We do have to suffer consequences if it creates negative reactions. But many of these things don't directly create the immediate reaction. Now, that said, there are some exceptions to that, like the January 6th insurrection. A lot of this was started on the Internet. People were talking about crazy shit. They still are. Now, can they be held responsible for that legally? Well, maybe. But you got to admit, our justice system is so fucking weak these days that nobody's going to take them to task unless they created some direct problem by the things they say. Now, I mean, if you step up and try to break into the Capitol, spew all kinds of racist things and try to overturn our government, well, that's going to be a problem because, frankly, that's illegal. But just the simple idiot out there screaming certain things, I'm not sure you can do anything to them legally. I may be wrong about that, and if there's a lawyer in the audience that can clarify that for me, by all means, send me an email. Leave me a voicemail message at anchor.fm. But that's the best answer I have for you at this point. 
We've got a weak justice system, and people get away with a lot of shit. We've got to tighten that up. That's one of the many things we've got to fix in this country. All right. Now, we've talked a lot about the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th insurrection. We know that they had a public hearing where they deposed Capitol policemen. It was compelling, and it was upsetting because of all they went through. We also know that uh, Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows have refused to comply with the subpoenas that have been sent out. Now, they're being sent over to the DOJ with hopes of charging them with criminal contempt. We have to see what the DOJ does. I'm hoping against hope that they actually act on it. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. If the DOJ and Merrick Garland refused to prosecute, indict, prosecute these people, I want something in return. These people work for us. Okay, you decide you don't want to do something with this, something that appears to be pretty blatant criminal behavior. If you decide you don't want to prosecute them, I think you need to stand up at a podium and tell us why. We need to know why you're not willing to do your job. We can't force you to do your job, but we certainly are entitled to know why you refuse to do your job. And if you refuse to do your job, you should lose your job. I mean, let's be honest. We are the boss. We are paying the bills, as the Republicans always say. They're being paid with our tax money. At the very least, you should explain how you're proceeding with any given situation that you're being charged with. I don't know. That's just a thought. I don't know if we could ever impose that or insist on it. But enough people talking about it, maybe. But here's the thing. When we talk about the House Select Committee, those are the couple of things we've heard about. Many of us might say, well, what's going on with the House Select Committee? They must not be doing anything. And those of us that would think that would be wrong. Apparently, in the last 100 days, the House Select Committee has deposed more than 150 people. That's more than one person a day. That's a lot. Some of them have been subpoenaed. Some of them have come come on their own volition. And uh, there's a lot of information being obtained. Now, we don't know what that, uh, that information is as yet, because these have all been behind closed doors. But don't fear. We will hear this information. We will get all the information, ultimately. That's the whole point for them to do this, to let the general public know what happened, how it happened, when it happened, and why it happened. We will know. Now, in addition to that, on Friday, Jeffrey Clark will be deposed by the House Select Committee. Now, if you don't remember who Jeffrey Clark is, I'll remind you. He was the lower-level assistant AG in the Department of Justice under Donald Trump. And it sounds like he and Donald Trump were in cahoots a little bit about overturning the election. And The story goes that even though he's this lower-level guy who really nobody ever thought about, he decided to draft a letter 
intended to go to Georgia, and this letter would be officially from the Department of Justice, and they would tell the Secretary of State in Georgia that, hey, we have found all kinds of election fraud, so you must stop. You must not certify this election. Well, that letter's not true. We know it's not true. And his intention was to write this letter to a number of states where Donald Trump lost in hopes of stopping the certification in those states so Donald Trump could remain in office. That's pretty fucking illegal. That's seditionist, maybe even treasonist. And this man has some serious problems. Fortunately, when he sent the letter up the chain to the attorney general because he has to sign off on it, Acting Attorney General Rosen said, fuck no, that's a lie. We can't do that. That's not going to happen. And at some point, Donald Trump wanted it to happen so bad, he considered firing Rosen and making this lowly idiot the Attorney General so he could finish the job. Well, when Donald Trump decided to do that, everybody in the DOJ said, oh, wait, wait, wait. You do that shit. We're all resigning. So Donald Trump had no choice but to give on uh, give up on that angle. So now Jeffrey Clark was subpoenaed. He had a slight delay, some problem, something happened. But now he's going into the House Select Committee on Friday, and he's going to be questioned. Now, clearly, he could <sighs> claim the Fifth Amendment and keep his mouth shut. But I don't know that he's going to do that. Maybe he will, but I doubt it. Because, you see, they already know what he did was illegal. This guy's on the hook for some time. So maybe he's hoping that by coming out, being above board and speaking, maybe they can take a little edge off the time that he may already be doing. So this guy's in trouble. The House Select Committee is going to depose him. We may not see it in public, but ultimately we will hear what happens. And since he was dealing directly with Donald Trump and directly trying to overthrow these elections in the various states, this is going to be an interesting conversation. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. But we're not done with the House Select Committee because, you see, there's one more thing. Benny Thompson, the chairman of the House Select Committee, also told us today that As quickly as in a day or so, he's going to send out 20 more subpoenas. And he's sending out those subpoenas because these are people that won't come in voluntarily. They just assume that, so they're going to subpoena them. And some of them may go the way of uh, Steve Bannon and, and Mark Meadows. But after seeing what's going on there, they may say, fuck it, I just better talk. I don't need any more trouble with this. But who might be in these 20 subpoenas? That's an interesting question. I mean, they've talked to 150 people already. Who haven't they talked to? Well, let's look at that. Maybe Rudy Giuliani. Maybe uh, the lawyer that uh, was the architect of this whole thing. Or maybe Donald Trump. Donald Trump Jr., Mo Brooks, it could be Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Josh Hawley, it could be anybody, or it could be all of them. So it will be interesting to see 
what these subpoenas are and who they're going out to. And it'll be even more interesting to see how they react to it. Do they just cave in and talk, or do they try to play the same game that Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows is playing? I know a lot of people were disappointed when Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows decided they weren't going to comply. But apparently it wasn't as big a deal as we thought because they already have 150 people that have already told their stories, and they probably have the information that they might get from Meadows and Bannon. So they may not be important. Maybe they're just making them examples to scare the other people to give in and speak up. So if you think there's not been a lot of things going on with the House Select Committee, you're wrong. I was wrong. They're doing a lot of shit, and they're moving pretty fast. And ultimately, we will hear the outcome of this investigation and these depositions. So I'm anxious to hear more. We may have to wait for it a little bit because it's whenever the House Select Committee releases it or however they release it, but it's coming. And it's going to probably be pretty compelling and pretty damning for the likes of Donald Trump all the way down. Now, here's an interesting thing. Donald Trump's legal team was in court today. It was a lawsuit with Trump versus Benny Thompson of the House Select Committee. Now, the story goes, and you've heard it before, I've talked to you about it before, uh, the House Select Committee wants documents from people from the White House in and around January 6th. Now, they have to get those documents from the National Archives. But for whatever reason, Donald Trump doesn't want anybody to see them. We're talking about call logs, visitor logs, notes um, by Mark Meadows, by Donald Trump, draft speeches, and all that sort of thing. He also had plans of a, an executive order, something to do with election fraud. That didn't get enacted. But it might be interesting to see what he was planning to do. So Donald Trump says, I don't want anybody to see this. I'm going to assert executive privilege. We've talked about this. Well, Donald Trump, quick enough, found out that he doesn't have the power to do that. The only person that can assert executive privilege is, of course, the sitting president, and that would be Joe Biden. And Joe Biden already said, yeah, we're not going to do that. Just let it go. So what does Donald Trump do then? Now, the only thing Donald Trump can do is try to delay the whole process. So he files a lawsuit a couple of weeks ago. But he was surprised because the court case was today, Thursday, and his lawyers had to go and make an argument for not releasing these documents. Well, as soon as they walked in the door, this judge was not avenant. She was skeptical about their whole premise for this lawsuit. She explained to the lawyers that, look, yeah, he can assert executive privilege, but that's not a thing because Joe Biden has to do it and Joe Biden refuses to do it. Then they try to complain that this had no um, no legislative reason for doing it. And then, of course, um, the plaintiffs, 
Benny Thompson and his lawyers said, well, yeah, it does. We're looking at some laws and some regulations going forward with the normal uh, the, the normal pro, uh, progression of the transition between powers. So that's pretty much shut down Donald Trump's argument as well. Now, the one thing that was interesting about this, as I said, Donald Trump and all his team love to try to delay stuff. By now, they know they're losing this case, so their only option is to try to stretch it out as long as they can, run out the clock. So what his legal team suggests to the judge was, well, you know, there's 700 documents. We should take them one by one and decide one by one. (laughs) The judge said to him, look, man, that's going to take months, if not years, to get through it. What reason would there be to do that other than to delay? They didn't have an answer for that. And she said, we're not delaying anything. I'm going to expedite everything that I'm doing here. And she said, by the way, tell me a court case that suggests that I'm required to, that I'm required to do that. And... Uh, <laughs> They said, yeah, there, there's nothing like that. <laughs> so they got put in their place. She heard the arguments, and she says she's going to expedite her decision, her written decision. That could come out tomorrow, the next day, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. But here's the deal. The deal is the National Archives have said that they are going to release the documents on Friday, November 12th. That's next Friday. And the only thing that's going to stop them from doing that is if a judge tells them they can't. Now, in order to do that, Donald Trump has to get a temporary injunction. He's definitely not getting it from this judge, because this judge is going to probably allow the release of the documents. So naturally, he'll go to try to appeal the case. And... It's a matter of if he can get it appealed quickly enough before the documents are released. And even beyond that, whether he can get a uh, temporary injunction to stop them from being released. So Donald Trump's in trouble now. He's got a problem. He's running out of time. He has no case. And he's going to be in trouble. Granted, he'll try to take it up to the Supreme Court. But the fact of the matter is it may be released by then. And even if it's not, this stuff is going to have to go quickly. Since this court acted so quickly, the appeals court's going to have to do the same thing. I don't think he'll get to the Supreme Court. Maybe he will. But these documents are going to be released, even though the Supreme Court is a conservative court. They can't go squarely against the law. They can't do that without looking absolutely stupid. Now, they've done some stupid things with Texas and some other situations, but this one is not going to fly. These documents are going to come out, and there's going to be a lot of information about what he was doing, what he was talking about, what he was suggesting, and what he was going to do in an executive order. And this stuff is all going to be pretty damning. You can't get around this one. 
he can't run the clock out on this one. It's going too fast, and he has zero case. And because he's not president, he has no power in delaying it. This one's going to be interesting. Benny Thompson is being sued. The House Select Committee is being sued. But it isn't going to cost them a penny because Trump and his people have no case. They know they have no case. Their only hopes is to delay it, and this judge ain't allowing it. She's not having it. So <laughs> this will be fun. This will be interesting. All right, let's take a quick break, and we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right. So Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has announced that they are going to vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better Reconciliation Bill on Friday. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying they've said that before and then they don't do it. Some knucklehead like Manchin or Cinema or some of the progressive Democrats stick their nose in it and say, I don't like that. I'm not signing it yet. And that could still happen. Obviously, that could happen. But it seems a little different now. You know, after that election in Virginia where they're all worked up about the Republicans winning the governorship, even though it's happened a million times, every president back to George H.W. Bush, when that Virginia election came, the opposite party always won. This is nothing new. This isn't unexpected. But apparently it's making some people nervous. So they're rushing on these infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill. When I say rushing, I mean now. They clearly haven't been rushing because they've been working on this for fucking months. But they need to get this passed. The Republicans need to get the bipartisan bill passed. They all need something to hang their hat on to show that they fucking did something come 2022. And since we're only a year away, they need to start acting fast. So, as I understand it, the way this may work out, the House will vote on the reconciliation bill, presuming that it will pass there. They have the majority, so it probably will pass. Then they're going to vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. This is a little different deal because that bipartisan bill has already passed the Senate. So once it passes the House, then it's law. Then it's a done deal. Now, the Democratic progressives are nervous about that because they're worried that if the bipartisan bill passes first, then the likes of Joe Manchin and Cinema won't vote for the reconciliation bill, it won't pass the Senate, and it won't go into law. But we talked about this before. Apparently, Joe Biden has convinced the progressive Democrats and Nancy Pelosi that they will have the votes in the Senate to pass the reconciliation bill. You hear a lot of bullshit from Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. You have to understand part of that is just posturing. They have to say certain things to look a certain way, 
to appease some of the people back in their home state or the people that are putting money in their pockets. So what they say to the public isn't really necessarily a factor in whether they're going to vote or not. It's a lot of bullshit. And frankly, that shouldn't surprise you. We hear a lot of bullshit from all politicians. But Nancy Pelosi is saying they're going to vote on them both tomorrow. Now, here's what's going to happen with the reconciliation bill. If they pass it in the House tomorrow, it goes to the Senate. But then you know what the Senate does? They pick it apart and add things or take things out, and then they send it back to the House. Now, from what I've got from uh, Representative Jayapal, they're going to get it in, and it's been all worked out ahead of time, and then the House will sign the revised version from the Senate, and it will be law. Whether it works out that way, who knows? Whether they get these bills signed tomorrow, I don't know. But they will get them signed ultimately because they absolutely have to. Not just the Democrats, but the Republicans too. But this is particularly important to the Democrats because they aren't looking good now. Joe Biden's polling is down and they need something to happen. And uh, as we've talked about with the reconciliation bill and even the bipartisan bill, this is transitional for this country. This is something we haven't seen in decades where money comes back to the middle class. It always goes to the rich people and just disappears. This way it's going to go back into the middle class. It's going to create jobs, better paying jobs. It's going to create construction and infrastructure work that we need so badly. It's going to offer assistance to child care, health care, maybe Medicare. We don't know really what's in this ultimate bill, but whatever it is, it needs to pass. Because once it passes, the Democrats are in a better position. And if they want to come back later and get the other stuff they didn't get, they're in a much better position if they get these bills passed and they look better and end up doing better in 2022. So they must get this passed. Everybody agrees on it. It's just a matter of how long they want to dick around and pick at it to make sure everybody got exactly what they wanted. This bill is going to be huge. I can't imagine anybody's read the whole fucking thing. But part of the problem with Manchin and Cinema and the Senate is this. They're afraid, because it is such a big bill, that the Democrats snuck some shit in there. Well, they're Democrats too, but they're moderates which means they're fucking conservatives and quasi-Republicans. But, so nobody trusts anybody in Congress. That's where the real problem lies. The progressive Democrats don't trust Manchin and Sinema. Manchin and Sinema don't trust the other Democrats. Republicans don't trust fucking anybody, but they don't really come into play in this equation because they've already said they're not voting for the reconciliation bill. Not one Republican will vote for it. But because it's reconciliation, it can pass on a simple majority of 51 votes. That means we've got to get 50 Democratic senators to vote for it. And then Kamala Harris, the vice president, who's president of the Senate, has to cast the deciding vote. So there's still a lot of stuff to go, but if they start the signing tomorrow and get the process moving, this could happen relatively quickly. The bipartisan bill, faster probably than the reconciliation bill. The only thing I'm concerned about is if Joe Manchin and Cinema 
don't do what they're supposed to do. This is going to cause an upheaval in the Democratic Party, and this is going to piss off Joe Biden to no end. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to get the bills passed. It's going to be good. But are they going to do it tomorrow? They say they are. It seems all different, like they might. But I wouldn't bet on it. Nope, I wouldn't bet on it for anything. I'm hoping, but I wouldn't bet on it yet. Okay. The Manhattan District of New York. This is interesting. They have uh, convened another grand jury. Now, um, you may have recalled that they convened a grand jury previously. And in that grand jury, they indicted the Trump Organization, which really is a death knell of any company. And it ultimately will be for the Trump Trump Organization. It will bankrupt it. It'll be out of business. And as much as you think Donald Trump isn't being held accountable, at least in that case, he is. Now, his CFO, Alan Weisselberg, has also been indicted. And one of the reasons they wanted to do that is to break Weisselberg to testify against Donald Trump. Funny thing is, he hasn't done that as yet. And that's surprising because Weisselberg, like Trump, is an older guy in his 70s. He gets convicted of uh, this tax fraud and all of this type of stuff. Um, He may die in prison. I don't know what he's thinking, why he continues to be loyal to Donald Trump. Trump obviously put him in a bad position. Trump would never bend over backwards for him if he didn't think it was going to help himself. So I don't know what the deal with Weisselberg is. Maybe he'll break. Maybe he won't. Maybe he's trying to ride out the clock and then do it at the last minute. Who the fuck knows? But here's the deal. When you have a grand jury, especially on a state level like that, they don't last forever. You're taking people out of their lives and they're working and, and uh, you can't keep them forever. So the term on the first grand jury ended. Now there's a new grand jury. And that's interesting because that tells us there's more work to do and more indictments. And when we're talking about the Trump organization, it's a fairly small company in terms of the people in it. So if there are more indictments coming, there's only a few, well, several people that could be possibly indicted. We could be talking about Donald Trump, Trump Jr., Ivanka, those kind of people. I mean, they've already dealt with the other administration that weren't part of the family. So you have to assume if they're going to have another grand jury, there's going to be more indictments. And that only leaves really the Trumps to be indicted. So that could be good news for uh, <laughs> for folks in New York as far as getting um, Donald Trump accountable. Now, one of the things that they're looking at and they're focusing on in this second grand jury is something we've talked about before a long time ago, but this is a serious problem for Donald Trump. Donald Trump had a tradition of doing this one thing or two things that is highly illegal, highly problematic, and easy to prove. Donald Trump, 
<laughs> tends to use hyperbole in everything he does. Everything he says about himself is bigger and better than it really is. But he goes the other way, too. Here's the deal. If he's looking for a loan, he will inflate the value of his properties to make it easier to get the loan and to get a bigger loan. So if he's got a building worth $10 million, he will tell them it's $50 million. Well, that's a problem. You can't lie to banks, especially when you're trying to get financing. Same thing goes with insurance. He tells them this building is $10 million, or he tells them it's $50 million, and it's only $10 million. That means if there's a problem, the insurance pays out more than they should be legally liable to pay. Lying to insurance companies, that's illegal. But he takes it the other way. See, if he has a building that's worth $10 million, and now he's doing taxes, he doesn't want to pay taxes on $10 million. So he tells the IRS, oh yeah, that building's only worth $2 million. So he's gone from $50 million to banks all the way down to $2 million to the IRS. You see where the problem is there? That's essentially theft. That is illegal. Insurance companies, banks, and certainly the IRS don't take too kindly to that shit. And that appears to be what the grand jury is looking into, this new second grand jury. And it's going to be interesting to see what they find. Because you'll remember, we found out that uh, Donald and Alan Weisselberg are... Uh, are keeping two pair, two set of books. And the only reason you keep two sets of books with a business is if you're fucking cheating and stealing and skimming off the top and not exposing what you really should be paying in taxes to the IRS. They don't take too kindly of that. And unfortunately for Donald Trump, he's pretty sloppy about it because they've already found the set second set of books. So Donald Trump has some fucking problems there. And that second grand jury is going to be looking into it. So there's a limited amount of people he can indict. And they're looking into something that's been so blatant and something he's done for his lifetime in business. And that's something else to consider. They don't only look at the crime. They look at the pattern of the same crime. How long they've been doing it. How often they do it. And how much money it's ultimately cost the IRS or banks or insurance companies or those sorts of things. It's a big deal. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars minimum, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. Highly illegal, highly problematic for Donald Trump. And he's not smart enough to hide it because they're already finding proof of it. And if you remember when... Uh, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former lawyer, testified in front of Congress. He told everybody, very matter-of-factly, that that's exactly what Donald Trump did. I mean, <laughs> Michael Cohen was his, uh, his, uh, his man, the guy that he dealt with every day. He knew what was going on. Now, Michael Cohen isn't the most credible witness, but he can point these people in the direction to find the proof. And you remember, <laughs> Michael Cohen has probably been deposed more and longer than anybody else. 
They got a lot of information out of Michael Cohen. Whether he's credible or not doesn't matter. He sets up the search and points people in the direction, and they can find the proof for themselves. And that's what they probably have done. Now, uh, I also wanted to bring this up. Um, You know, there's a lot of activity, investigations, and cases going on with Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, with the Manhattan District of New York. And one of the things that we kept hearing about with the Manhattan District is that the the attorney there, Cyrus Vance, was looking to retire in December. And some people were worried about that. Well, we get to December, and then Cyrus Vance will leave, and then all the investigations will end. They'll get somebody who's more amenable to Donald Trump, and it'll be all a waste of time, and nobody will continue the investigation, depending on who replaces Cyrus Vance. Well, now we know who is replacing Cyrus Vance December or January. His name is Elvin Bragg, and he's a respected attorney. Uh, He's worked in the federal attorney's office for a while, for a long while. He is taking over for Cyrus Vance in the Manhattan District. He's going to be leading it. He's going to be running it just like Cyrus Vance did. Now, the question is, is he going to continue looking into Donald Trump and holding him accountable? And I'm happy to tell you, oh, hell yes. (laughs) You see, interestingly enough, Alvin Bragg, when he was trying to get this job, one of the reasons he said he was qualified, because it turns out Alvin Bragg has sued the Trump organization and Trump individuals, over a hundred times. <laughs> he's dealt with Donald Trump so much, he's probably sick of him. But he knows all the problems and the inside games that Donald Trump plays. So he's well-versed on going after Donald Trump. Turns out he's proud of going after Donald Trump, and he's always been successful. Now, here's the interesting thing. One of the big cases he had against Donald Trump was remember when Donald Trump had this foundation, this charitable foundation, all this money coming in, and instead of giving it to the charity, he would then just keep it. Much like he's keeping the donations from the Trump Fox, you know? They're sending them money to fight the steal or stop the steal, but he's putting it in his pockets, paying his bills, enjoying life. He's stealing from his own people, and they're stupid enough to keep sending it to him. Well, he did the same thing with his charitable organization. Got in all kinds of money. We're going to do some good, but he didn't. He spent it on himself or on the family, paid them big salaries, bought them things. And that, too, a little illegal. In fact, it's a lot illegal. And this gentleman who's taking over the Manhattan district, Elvin Bragg, is the man that took down that charitable organization. He went after him, sued him, caused that charitable organization to shut down and banned Donald Trump and his family to ever have another charitable organization. Trump and his family were stealing from people, stealing from people who were intended to get the donations that were in his charitable organization, pocketing it. Elvin Bragg went after them, shut it down, 
and ban them from ever having a foundation again. So if you're worried about Cyrus Vance retiring and that there won't be anybody to pick up the ball, (laughs) don't worry about it. Alvin Bragg sounds like he's meaner and tougher and more interested in Donald Trump than Cyrus Vance ever was. So this is going to get pretty entertaining. (laughs) The Manhattan District isn't going to be playing here, and uh, that will be fun to watch. Let's see, we got one other thing here. Um, I wanted to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse real quickly. We've got that court case running right now. And it's pretty appalling as to what's happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in this trial. Just some things I picked out as I've watched bits and pieces of this trial. First of all, Kyle Rittenhouse is sitting in the trial. He's laughing. He's yawning. He's not taking this seriously. He hasn't learned any lesson. He thinks he's going to get off of this. (laughs) Well, then you have the judge. Now, this judge doesn't believe that the people that were shot and killed should be regarded as victims. Now, I've said that before, and I guess, you know, maybe that's the case in a lot of situations. But this judge has had a lot of problems in the past, a lot of court cases overturned. He's not a good guy. He's not a good judge. And oftentimes you'll see the trial and here he'll be listen. The trial's going on and he's on his phone. I don't know what the fuck he's looking at. Porn, Confederate uh, Nazi sites. I, I don't know. But I would think if you're a judge getting paid what you're getting paid working for the public, you could probably stay off your phone for the time you're in the courtroom. And the, the, the other thing about uh, this guy, he has a tendency to quote Bible verses. And I think he's real clever. He'll say, well, this reminds me of such and such, and he'll try to quote the Bible verse. But clearly he doesn't know the Bible verse because <laughs> he keeps screwing up, he keeps pausing, he's saying the wrong things. This judge is a nutcase. He's a real problem. And uh, I'm concerned about if he's going to run a decent trial here or not. So far, nothing shows me that there is any jurisprudence going on at all. And that's not where it stops. You see, the defense attorney, in his opening arguments or his opening statements, (laughs) this fucking idiot said the N-word at least two, maybe three times just in the opening statement. This is an attorney who went to law school, and this is what he does. And you know what they did? They kicked his ass out of there. He's not on the case anymore. What a fucking idiot. But it doesn't stop there. On Thursday, they had to dismiss a juror because this juror decided to tell a racist joke to a bailiff regarding one of the victims that got shot. And it's a dumb joke anyway. But you're a jury on a trial, a murder trial, about people getting shot and killed. And you think it's funny. You think it's clever to walk over to the bailiff and say, hey, did you hear the one about this guy that got shot? What the fuck is wrong with people? What the fuck is wrong with people? This shows how classy the judicial system in Wisconsin is. It's fucking frightening. 
If I was in Wisconsin, I would be embarrassed. Even if I liked Kyle Rittenhouse, I'd say, fuck, what are you doing? Now, Kyle Rittenhouse thinks, oh, I'll get off on this, and all the people around him, the judge, think he's all getting off on this. But there's one thing they may not be considering, and I know it is being considered. He gets off on this case in the state of Wisconsin. Expect expect the federal government to file charges. And then we're going to be in a different circumstance. Kyle Rittenhouse won't be laughing. He won't be yawning. He won't be thinking he's going to win. So even if Kyle Rittenhouse gets exonerated in the state of Wisconsin, that is possible given the fucked up state that Wisconsin is, the feds may come in, charge this punk piece of shit, and he'll go down eventually. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. All right, we're running out of time. Um, Remember, send me an email, rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to acre.fm. Leave a voicemail message. Just look up Rational Boomer Podcast. Want to hear from you. We'll be back again tomorrow. But you have a good day, and we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.